Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. Gents, boys, and girls, welcome to Tales with TR, episode 111B. I'm your host, Terry Ryan, and today we have good P.E. Islander, Billy Mad Dog McGuigan. Billy Mad Dog McGuigan and I met in the late 90s when I was playing in Fredericton, New Brunswick with one David Ling, who's also been a guest on here and is somewhat of a legend himself. Uh, for those who don't know that geography, Fredericton, New Brunswick, uh, is just a few hours, I guess, from Charlottetown, PEI, part of Atlantic Canada. Um, <clears throat> and we would drive over there. For those who don't know, for those who do, this is going to seem like grade three, but a lot of people listen from other places, like Australia, for example, and... Um, you wouldn't know. So when I played on the Montreal Canadiens farm team, it was in Fredericton, New Brunswick, which is in Atlantic Canada. Like I said, you can drive. I mean, I, I, Newfoundland's in Atlantic Canada with New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Prince Edward Island, except we're really in Newfoundland. We're, we're cut off. We're a big island, 14 hours to drive across about, and then we got Labrador as well. So it's a big province. PEI is probably two to three hours to drive across. It's not as big, but... It's all connected, and um, not that we feel left out or anything. Maybe, maybe way back in the seventies or eighties, but 
It's all good. It's um, just when I played in Freddie, we would be able to drive. Like I couldn't drive home to Newfoundland whenever I wanted. St. John's were in the league. Me and Linger, Asham and Boyd Olson and Matty Higgins, whoever, we would all come in and hang out at my house or cabin. It was a good time. But for Linger and I, we could just drive over to PEI if we had a couple of days off. So I often did that. And uh, back then anyway, and we would go there in the summer anyway. Uh, so that was a great time. Some other Prince Edward Islanders of note from uh, that played in the NHL. Gerard Gallant, Gerard Gallant, as most would say it, who's coaching now. He played. A lot of people don't realize he was a great player as well. Brad Richards. Brad Richards is a good buddy. We used to go up there in the late 2000s. Brad won the Stanley Cup in 0405 and was the Conn Smythe winner, to be honest. And I'll tell you a story about Brad. We were there, at, so I guess summer 04, when he was just coming into Providence, and we did a golf tournament in his name. And uh, anyway, he told us, he said, if I ever get a chance to lift the cup, you know, I'm going to use, I'll give whoever, I'll give you guys a stick from the finals. So what he did, and they ended up going game seven with Calgary, huge, huge series for so many reasons. My favorite part of the series was, uh, again, fighting La Cavalier, two guys right in their prime captains of the teams that were probably better on the ice than off of it. But, uh, you know, it was just every once in a while, a passionate fight breaks out. And I thought that was it. That would be my argument for keeping fighting in hockey, something like that. And, um, it was just passion. Uh, but, uh, and Martin Jana scored a goal in game six. Nowadays, I think it would be in. You would have the replay. And uh, again, I'm not looking at replay or anything right now, but I'm going by memory. I remember the puck, I thought, went over the line. Tampa Bay's goalie, maybe Cabby Bulin, maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was uh, John Graham. But in any case, the, the puck seemed to cross the line. Calgary would have won the cup, hence that league comes in. That rule, sorry, comes in years later, about video replay, all of that, and that might have changed the fate of the Stanley Cup that year. In any case, Tampa Bay won it. Brad's a good buddy, and I remember having a great time with uh, with my PE Islander friends, and I got a lot of them. Morgan Ellis, Jason McDonald, oh, God, Darcy Harris. Some of them have been on here. Too many to count, but uh, we here in Newfoundland consider Prince Edward Island almost like a brother or a sister province kind of thing. Similar people, similar attitude, and uh, love the party, to be honest with you, for the most part. So I'm looking forward to having Billy on. And speaking of that, let's just do it right now. I was going to answer some more questions. feel bad. Sometimes I spend so much time, as I did in 111A, talking about the funny or more controversial or stupid or ridiculous messages, I often leave people out that have a serious question. So I'm going to try to get to those at the end of the Billy McGuigan interview. So here we go. Back in two shakes of a lamb's tail with Billy Mad Dog McGuigan. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest has been coaching in the Maritime Junior Hockey League for a decade and a half after a playing career that began way back in 93-94 when he starred for the Charlottetown Abbeys. He'd go on to play in the OHL, Colonial Hockey League, Central League, and West Coast League before shutting it down in the mid-2000s and, as mentioned, taking a role coaching and managing junior teams in his home province of Prince Edward Island for the most part. These days, he's coaching Summerside and is an assistant general manager as well for the legendary team and is also a solid dude I'm proud to call a pal. 
He is a creative coach, a magical manager, a smart steelhead, a radical ranger, dynamite dad, a great guy. On any given night, he'd drop him and fight. He broke through in the O with the Peets of Peterborough. I like his approach, and he's a hell of a coach. He's from Charlottetown, C, and he's Billy McGee. He's a former Gold King, and he knows David Ling. He coaches with pride up in the Summerside. Folks, if you want a codfish, you better go jigging. And please welcome my pal. It's Billy Mad Dog McGuigan. <laughs> Billy, how the hell are you? How you doing, Derry? I'm doing all right, and we don't uh, catch up enough because our lives are so busy. But I do. The, what I really appreciate, you had me come talk to the kids a few years ago, the Summerside Caps. At uh, I had to do a public speaking gig, and the last show I had, or sorry, you, you had me do a public speaking gig, but the last show I had. Myself and Scott Darling talked about doing stand-up comedy in our favorite venues and our favorite... Well, I loved that because I think that was the only place that I ever strictly riffed the whole time because they were so engaged, the crowd. You know, when you're speaking to a hockey crowd, it's yeah. it's a lot different than if you just do a random audience. Not that that was stand-up. Yeah. I just thought it was a nice conversation. I love my time in PEA, PEI, and I appreciate that. Now, how's your summer going? My summer's going great. I actually ran into a... a fellow friend of yours, uh, Mad Dog Mackenzie James, was at my house yesterday. Was at my house yesterday. So he's uh, living in Ottawa, and he does the Next Shift program, which is uh, basically gets gear from uh, all types of organizations, gives gives donor privileged kids, has lots of great sponsors, and he does a real good job in Ottawa. He's, he's got tons of gear. So if you're in the Ottawa area looking for gear for your children and can't really afford it, he's the guy to go see. So he's doing a great job. This is incredible. I played with McKenzie senior hockey like a year ago. I, I think he was leaving to go to either British Columbia or some like North Carolina or something. He, he was he was bouncing back and forth. I didn't think Ottawa would, would be his landing spot, but hey, who knows? That's great. Pass on a hello. He probably listens to this. Um, so how does summer go for a coach GM, assistant GM in junior? What do you, Are you scouting? Are you, I know you got a golf tournament coming up, uh, but what like what do you do? Do you wine and dine? Do you scout? Are you, are you are you talking to others within the organization that might have some pull? Some you, you know? Are you talking to fans? How does that go? Yeah, I think uh, a little bit of all that, Terry. It's uh, you know talking to kids or you know within the Maritime Hockey League area, talking to teams away outside of the Maritimes basically trying to recruit. Obviously, Pat McKeever's the GM here, and he'd be doing a lot of that too. And and uh, you know, but it's it's, uh, you know, a group of guys, if we're all pulling on the same rope, we get a lot of things accomplished. So, um, you know, that's what we kind of like to do here and try to get uh, as many lines in the water. Like you said, like jigging cod, you're trying to get as many lines as water as you can to, to, to get players to come. There's a lot of, a lot of times players will reach out as well. And, you know, one thing that I do, uh, aside from, you know, some of the other uh, responsibilities, I try to get guys school. So, you know, start that process in December for our 20 year old group. And then, uh, you know, you spend like I had two two schools call me today, and I had to reach out to another. Um, and we're really? still trying to work to get the last few guys committed into into CIS. We have one kid that's potentially going pro in Sweden, and and uh, just a number of things like that that are happening. And and you know, you're always kind of working the phones, and you're getting calls, and and of course, you run into the you run into the fans around the community and the, and the kids of the community. I have a hockey school here with Brett and Alex Gallant and Eric Morenci. It's oh, called Tenacity Hockey. And uh, it starts uh, the 25th of this month. So we're in that for three, three straight weeks every day. 
on the ice. So, you know, those are kind of some of the things we do to give back to the community and, and we love it. And we love being around the kids. I have three kids myself. So that makes it uh, even more fun. Wow. So I want to go back. I'm going to bounce back and forth here because you get an intriguing career as in hockey, say as a player and as a coach. So, and I met you in the mid nineties with Linger. So I don't know what happened. You, you went to Charlottetown Abbey's. I see that. And then you went to the OHL for most people, especially in Atlanta, Canada at the time, it was, I don't think it was as easy to get noticed or, or so how did you take the step? Yeah. No, so I was OHL. I mean, I, I get yeah. the junior at your home, but how did yeah. you, I was drafted by the Windsor Spitfires. Wayne Maxner was the, the GM there at the time. And, and, uh, you know, he, Forby and him had a pretty good relationship. And, and I think, and he kind of watched the Maritime guys cause you know, they, they liked the gritty guys from out in the Maritimes. So anyway, he drafted me in Windsor in 1991. I went to training camp there, didn't make the team. Um, so that was kind of the rest was history. In, in 1994, Shane Turner, a local scout here, um, now scouts for the Dallas Stars, had drafted Justin Ertl from the Summerside Capitals last season in the third round of the Dallas Stars, the NHL draft. So we still have that connection pretty pretty solid. But uh, it, was, it was Shane Turner and Jeff Tui of the Peterborough Peets that brought me into Peterborough as a 19-year-old rookie, Terry. And I wasn't very good at hockey, so I had to get the mitts off and had to get them off a lot. And I kind of made my way onto the team. And and uh, I was traded about 14 games into the Kitchener Rangers, where Jeff Ward ended up being the coach there. And I had an unbelievable year with Jeff. The next year I was at an NHL training camp. So it kind of happened fast, but, uh, you know, exciting at the same time. Wow. That is incredible. I never knew that story. So... 5-10-190. Now, you go into that. I mean, not that that's small, but that era, man, you know, I mean, I lived it just a few years younger. And it wasn't, the, the era was a tough era. Lots of guys dropped their mitts. I'm looking at your penalty minutes. You had way more penalty minutes always than points, more than two a game, sometimes five a game. So how did you deal with it? Deal with it. I mean, you wanted to do it. I know your personality, but I'm saying... Did you know that then? Did you know going there, you know what? Like my best option here is to be third, fourth line and just go whatever they need. Or were you like, ah, you know what? I'm not scoring. So I think I'll drop my mitts. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, you know, I think you're, you're the, you're the one that can, can have the the talk about the fighting because you were such a great goal scorer. Me, I had one, I had, I had one way to do it. It was, you know, to create, uh, you know, space for the other players around the team. Usually, usually I like to stick up for guys. If a guy get hit or run or, whatever I use the the next shift would try to settle a score type deal, but uh, never in junior. I really, when you're a kid, you really like it. And then uh, as you get into the pro, like you said, and you talk, talk to other guys and it kind of gets old pretty quick, but you're fighting these guys that are, you know, got four or five, six inches on you and, and a lot heavier than you. And they hit a lot harder than the 19 and 18 year old. So you, you become, you become uh, to get to the OHL and to play with the Peterborough Peets. I went there and I just dropped my gloves in the exhibition games every chance I got. And that gave me a line to get into the organization, kept me there for a short time, but gave me that chance to go to Kitchener, where in Kitchener I put up some points, but still had to do some some fighting. And then, uh, you know, that got noticed by the Colorado Avalanche and I went to camp there. And, and they happened to win the Stanley Cup that year. So I was on the outside looking in there as well. So lo lots of... Uh, Lots of close calls, but I wasn't very good, so I had to had to make sure I was fighting or doing something that w was showing up. That's amazing. I didn't know that. So, how was was Colorado camp right in Denver? 
Colorado camp 96, was right, I guess, right? 96, right in Denver, um, went straight to the camp. And back then, um, it was a main camp. Like you, there wasn't a rookie camp. And then, uh, then they, uh, you know, you practice with the big dogs. You had inter-squad games with the big dogs. And then, you know, they broke it up into a few exhibition games. Got to play a couple of exhibition games against Calgary. Linger was actually on the Calgary team, but he had a, he had a broken arm or wrist or something at that, uh, that time. And he didn't play in the games, but, you know, we chatted back then. And, and um, yeah, so I played a couple of exhibition games. And then we, it went into the rookie stuff where you played, like, we played a couple of universities, um, kind of as an American League kind of thing. And rookie camp, played a couple of university teams, played an American League team, um, played, a, played a bunch of games that way. But the two games against Calgary were, you know, fairly legit exhibition games. And then uh, I ended up staying around the American League for a while and then got sent to the Colonial League. And the rest was history. The Colonial League. So, look, this league came and it went. There are stories. I hear more crazy stories about the Colonial League than I do about the WHA, and my dad played in that, and that's saying something because he tells one every goddamn night. Um, the Colonial League. Tell us a little bit about it. Where did you play, and how did you get there, and what was the talent of the league? How I played it? I played in – I started in Erie in the East Coast League, and one night Dave Cameron, who coaches in yeah. – uh, the Ottawa Six Sevens. Actually, he's uh, here in the island right now. He's doing a dinner here tonight, so I'm going to that dinner. It's for a fundraiser for UPI, and the legendary coach Vince Mulligan is yeah. being honored. Um, Vince, a longtime coach. Anyway, the the story was that I was in Erie. I was going to play in Erie, from the East Coast League after the American League uh, Cornwall Aces thing. I was raised from there, and it turned out Dave Cameron got a hold of me, and and uh, I basically snuck out in the middle of the night to. Uh, to 20 years old, didn't know what I was doing, got a bus and went down to Detroit because I felt a lot more comfortable with Dave being there. Um, I played 14 games with Dave Cameron and traded me to the Saginaw Wheels. <laughs> that so I, is... still, I still owe him one. 60 pims, though, in 14 games, dude. You went there, you were chucking knuckles, too. Then you go, 41 games in Saginaw, 69 pims. You played a little bit, so you're getting some ice time. And, yeah. I mean, it looks like D – I'm not saying that good players didn't play there. The way I presented that, it was just some shit league. I just know that there was some... See, that area That area had a lot of characters, right? And a lot of characters Absolutely. found themselves there. But there were great players, and there were also some real tough customers and, you know, some good goalies. Like any league, like any pro hockey league, you're going to have a bit of diversity. So how, how was your experience? And I mean this from an organization and the whole point from the league, like... Were the, were, the, were the bus trips, were the rinks that you played in, were the fans, were the jerseys, was everything cool? Was it top-notch or was there anything crazy off the rails? Yeah, I, I think it was a lower-end lower, lower end, uh, pro league. I mean, at the end of the day, what I felt it was, because I was young, I was only 20 at the time, but uh, I seen it as kind of like a resting place for retirement for the old pros, like you had the 30 year olds, yeah. 35 year old guys that, you know, were real good players in their day, but were kind of ending up their career and still want to play. That's what I kind of got out of it. It was a real tough league. I remember going up into Thunder Bay and, you know, they had their Herbie Raglins and their, oh my God, the Angle Stats and Bruce Ramsey. And they had so many guys that were so tough. It was Vern Ray. Like it was, it was just, you know, it was a, it was a intimidating place to go. And that's kind of how the league was. It was a real tough league. You went into Flint, same kind of scenario. Flint had a real tough team, tough league, tough burn. Um, I would say like some of those ranks, like Flint would have good crowds. Thunder Bay would have good crowds. Um, you know, Saginaw would have a couple thousand, but not uh, not near the extent it was when I moved and went to the West Coast Hockey League and got to play in, 
You know, Alaska was just okay, but the next couple of years of Boise, Idaho was second and none. It was, it was uh, just like playing in the NHL and, you know, you got the fly everywhere and, and things like that. But yeah, the old buses and they weren't nice buses and they weren't travel buses. It was just buses. So, Yeah, no, I heard. And you know what gets me? Like, so you're playing for the Detroit Falcons. I, the Detroit Red Wings, I mean, this is 1995, 96. They're, they're honestly at the peak of their popularity. I know the yeah. Detroit Red Wings have been popular for a while, but they were just coming back. And that was the Colorado, that new series that's on TV, the Colorado Detroit. I forget what it's called, but that was right during that time. So yeah. the Red Wings, and then they'd been bad for like a decade. And now they start, and all these guys are coming into their own, and Eisenman's a legend, and McCarty comes in, and there's so many legends that are playing there and so many reasons to watch the Red Wings. Yeah, I'm a hockey fan, and if I lived in Detroit, it would be hard to get me to go to watch the Falcons. So, like, what kind of people, or what, was it people that were looking for a better bargain, or... Now, again, I know that we have, you know, the Toronto Marlies playing Toronto, but it's the American Hockey League. To take a chance on the Colonial League, like, was was there a, uh, was there a devoted fan base? And I don't mean even in numbers, but were there were there were there five hundred or a thousand like real big time fans? You know, I would I would say not. I would say that the the rink was fairly empty when you went and played. The odd time there'd be some people there it was in Fraser, Michigan, which is just outside Detroit or a, a suburb of Detroit. Um, smaller rink. You know, you might get four or five hundred at a game, maybe a thousand, but it, it was typically felt like the rink was pretty empty and you were just there for a game of shinny. Well, no, that's what I thought now, which brings us to the West Coast League, which I am familiar with. So for those that don't know, God, my my NHL contract, whatever happened, I was holding out. I wanted to play with another team. And I played with St. John's the one year, Dave Cameron, you just spoke of. He was the assistant coach and Al McAdam, another good Prince Edward Islander. We didn't mention at the beginning of the show, I should have. Uh, he was the head coach. So I did that and I was waiting for Mon- Montreal owned my rights and I was waiting to get traded. It eventually happened, took too long, went to Dallas. But anyway, I went to the West Coast League. First, I went to the Colorado Gold Kings and they yeah. were originally the Alaska Gold Kings where you played. So yeah. I'll start there. Same franchise, of course, and I'd been to Alaska, but we played in Colorado. But I believe we had the same owner. I, his name was Jeff somebody. I forget his last name. But anyway, when you got to the West Coast League, tell me, I, personally, it was way better hockey than I thought. I couldn't believe the, the devoted fan base that I just spoke of. That's why I was so interested. I didn't think there would be one in Detroit with the Red Wings there, but I was curious. Boise ended up being one of the best hockey arenas and organizations I've ever, it, I'm including the NHL, I'm including everything I've ever seen in Europe. It was one of the best organizations I've ever played for. But now take us through Alaska first. They ended up being the Anchorage Aces. When you played there, there was the Gold Kings and the West Coast League, which now is all part of the East Coast League. It's actually the ECHL, for those that don't know. Yeah, right. Because they kind of absorbed it all, right? They, it, it used to be like 10 teams in the Central League, 10, 8 in the West Coast League, 12 in the East Coast. Now it's kind of all absorbed. So how was your experience in Alaska, first of all? Well, I was I was in the Central Hockey League just before that in Texas. Got released by Billy McDonald. So I went from Texas, needed a job. Texas. So I went to Alaska. <laughs> Anyway, Terry, to be totally honest, Anchorage had a team, Fairbanks had a team. It was the worst winner of my entire adult life. It was, you know, 24 hours of of darkness. Uh, We played in a rink that, you know, be 
like the Yetman's rink in, in Newfoundland there. It was no no bigger. I didn't um, realize that. We went up there playing Olympic size, and it was huge. Yeah, well, huge we, did, we didn't play in that one. See, that that was an anchorage. Okay, yeah. So we were we were a team out of Fairbanks. You were in Fairbanks, so the Anchorage Aces were still there then. Okay, I just assumed when I saw Alaska. Anchorage Aces, Fairbanks, Fair, Alaska Gold Kings, and the Anchorage Aces were both there. So the Anchorage Aces had a really good team. A really good city, a nice building. We were, I don't know, a couple hundred miles down the road. Shitty rink, shitty fans. Um, you know, anyway, it was a great experience. A couple you know, of hundred miles down the road in Alaska is a long <laughs> yeah. way down the road. So uh, a couple of years, in, in uh, a year in Alaska felt like about 20 years. So the, the what happened was the Alaska Gold Kings folded that year. And, and the next year it was... Uh, Don Lester with the Boise uh, Idaho Steelheads. Nice. Donnie called me and and uh, said we picked you up in the draft and and the dispersal draft and you're coming to coming to Idaho. I didn't think much of it. Now I I've been in. We just talked about Fraser, Michigan, Saginaw, Michigan, you know Detroit there, and then uh, and then Alaska. I'm looking this, at this going. This is not very glorified. This is you know this is just rec hockey. You know, the hockey was pretty decent in, in our regards, but to live in those cities and those places was just like, wasn't cool. And then, uh, you know, when I when I finally got to Alaska, we we lived in Alaska. But the good thing about Alaska, I can say this, when we left Alaska, we'd go to San Diego, kind of make that our hub city. And we were there for three or four weeks. So we'd stay and do the like Bakersfield, Fresno, San Diego. And then when we went the other way, we'd go to uh, Arizona, we'd stay in Scottsdale. And do Scottsdale, Tucson, so so that that was unbelievable when we did that, um, and we flew everywhere. And then the next year, but no fan base, no anything like that. The rink, our own rink, was just fair. Didn't really have our own dressing room. And then the next year, we went to Boise, Idaho, and my first year there, they were we did our training camp, and they were they were camping outside for seventy two hours, like hundreds of people just to buy season tickets. It was insane. Yeah, that's why I chose. So I went down there totally blind. I, I didn't know uh, what to expect at all from the West Coast League. But what I did know is that for a few years I was playing in Fredericton and four, I guess, and St. John's. Played in that, and and you know it was busing and it was bad weather. Again, it was the it was the it, firm teams of the NHL. I, I, I at no point when I was in Fredericton did I say, "Oh fuck, man, I I wish I was in the sun." It just I was focused. But all of a sudden, when I was waiting and I could pick anywhere I wanted to go. I said, you know, well, what's this West Coast League? They, it was comparable to the East Coast League, except exactly. It, it was like guys, some guys had been there, and you flew everywhere. And that really intrigued me because my three years in the A, now they fly, but we, we didn't fly. You know, yeah. We might fly to Montreal, practice, and then drive to Philly and play that little round of games. But it was right. mostly yeah, New yeah. England and Atlantic Canada. So, so we never did. So anyway, I get down there, and... Uh, I, I was blown away, and I loved the, I loved flying. We we would do that too. We would often fly to either Bakersfield or Crossfingers, San Diego, and stay there, and then kind of make that or Fresno. We'd make one of those places our hub for a week or so. Not not quite like you guys, but but it was a lot of fun and traveling around. And I do think, and there was a lot of guys there that either you're right, just just finished their like serious shot at the NHL or whatever they might yeah. have been. And a lot of guys that were just settling down. And when you yeah. talked earlier about fighting, I know when you're when you're when you're in junior, you're full of piss and vinegar, right? And you want, you, it, it's almost like, I'm not gonna, like I didn't really think about it too much. But when you get down, 
I remember like it's such a nice place, Boise and everything, that sometimes you forget. It's like when I played in Orlando. Sometimes you forget. Your eyes got to be on the prize. I know we're in the West Coast League here, boys, but we still got to try to win this thing. And yeah, you can often get – and you, you're not quite as intense. And then guys would have kids, and then it was just like, okay, like they want to come yeah. down and play. So, so I enjoyed that element of it. It wasn't – what's the word? I mean, intense. I mean, you had – I'm looking, Billy. 58 games, 22 points, 222 penalty minutes. I'm, I'm thinking – that's your best overall year. Uh, so, again, don't get me wrong. You're still throwing throwing the mitts. I still did it down there, but I just found it to be a little bit different. And guys talk a little bit more. Did you find that? Like, yeah, absolutely. Up, hey, you ready to go, Tr? I need a I need yeah. a couple fights to get back. Did did, did, did that happen? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it was almost like a setup, and I, I didn't like that way because I like the spontaneous ones. I didn't want to think about it. I just wanted to get at it. So. It was always like, yeah, they were talking to me or I talked to them, but I'd always be like, nah, talk to you after. <laughs> I know. I, I, I found that odd, too. And I noticed yeah. it about the league. I'm like, something's different here. The attitude, again, there's some killers, but I just found yeah. it. Oh, let's go out for beers. We'll warm up yeah. together. We'll set up who's going to fight who. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, the action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. As a Canadian, I know I'll always be throwing money down on the Blue Jays. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, make your first deposit, and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code THPN, as in the Hockey Podcast Network, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. When you were a kid, when you were watching the Oilers say, were you wanting to be Glenn Sather or were you wanting to be Wayne Gretzky? Like, did, 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 cause you've coached not only for what you've coached in Summerside for more than a decade with a few for nine years, nine years I've been here, nine years. So yeah. it was, was that an affinity to coaching to Summerside? What is it? When you were younger, did you see that you were going to be a coach? I can see it in you. I don't know if I would have said it back then, but I, I totally see the traits that make you a coach. Listen, when we were when we were we were twenty, no one would have seen anything anything else. True. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so yeah, no, I never never really thought about it. To be be honest with you, I, you know, I guess the answer to your question would be Wayne Gretzky. But uh, you know, I like the I like the hard nosed players. Obviously, like when I was growing up, Wendell Clark was my favorite player, and I always kind of wanted wanted to uh, you know play his style of game. Um, Coaching became a little bit of a later hack for me when I was done playing pro. My brother was uh, was 18 years old and he was playing uh, he was playing midget, so I helped or 17 years old playing midget, so I helped his team. The next year he went to play junior A, and uh, and he ended up having a heart condition at 18 and wasn't allowed to play contact sports again. So and he was a rugged guy. He played some in the Quebec League. Um, and the doctors told him his career was over. He, he was just getting started too. And I thought his trajectory was going to be high and I thought he'd have a good shot at pro. And anyway, what happened to him is he had a, uh, a valve deficiency and, and he couldn't play contact sports. So the next year, 
um, when he couldn't play sports, we needed something for him to do. So I applied for the midget AAA program in Summerside or in Charlton. I was assistant coach the year before, and I wanted to be a head coach because I wanted to bring my brother along. And then the next year I coached the team with my brother came as an assistant coach and Tyson Bradley was another guy and Freddie McGinnis. We were kind of a group of, of guys. We knew each other, we were buddies, and, and we took over the team. And then uh, we won the island that year. And my first year as a head coach, midget AAA, it'd be major midget now kind of thing. And and uh, we lost in the finals of the Atlantics to uh, to Sidney Crosby that year and, and Gore, Andrew Gordon. And they had a real good team from uh, – from Anaganish, Nova Scotia, or from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. So we lost the finals, and that was kind of my introduction to coaching, and it's hasn't haven't looked back since. Love it. Lost in the finals with a team from PEI. Just uh, PEI, and then next being Newfoundland in the Atlantic provinces or in nationals are always up again. People laugh when I say it, but I'm like, it's just population, man. Like, and and so many tournaments when I was younger, we used to go, and just dying to get into the final never happened. Yeah. So. Sometimes I played a tournament last weekend. Like sometimes you lose gold. Sometimes you win silver. I, I seem to remember when I was up there, you telling me about that story, losing to Sidney Crosby in the final. But you had like along the way, didn't you beat like some, you had a real big time tournament, right? Yeah, it was it was hosted here in PEI in Rustico in, in Kensington. And, and we, uh, yeah, we ended up, we, I don't know. Fans, up, right? I remember seeing the footage. Like a lot yeah. of fans for, for a lot Michigan. of fans. We ended up beating the Moncton team that was like projected to kind of win it or or be in the final. We bet we beat them in the semifinals that put us in the finals against Crosby and them. And that's I I think I shadowed them. Like back then, you kind of shadow guys at certain times. I think we shadowed them in, in the round robin. To, you know, we were kind of in our position in round robin, so we were playing Dartmouth. I was like, well, let's figure out a way to shut this kid down. And so I put a guy on him to kind of shadow. Him. We lost. We lost four two in the round robin game. I had a shadow that like followed him to the bench, followed him to the bathroom. <laughs> he scored four points, so he got four points in that game. It was score was four to two. We lost four two. We had a shadow on him that never left him all game. He still had four points. They yeah. beat us in the final game five nothing, and he was in on all five. Yeah, and when you say he had four points, I remember that era. I remember hearing about him, and when he, he was, was fourteen. And, and we were know, like our players were sixteen seventeen. When he had, four, and when he had four, it was like well, you know, like. It was pretty good. Like Crosby didn't, and I'm like, what do you mean he didn't do anything? He had four points, but well, you know, he didn't. He could have had ten. Like yeah. it, was, it was always like that. Like it was like, you know what? Pretty successful. If we can hold Crosby to four to four he, points, he was such a special kid. Oh my God! Just every everything you're seeing now, you could see then. It was just like he was so far ahead. Oh I my God! His and agility he was under, he was and his strength. Then, Terry. I know. I know like by was. two by two years, I think it was or three years, like. I think we are like the league was 16, 17, 18 type deal. And he was like 14. Like he yeah. was a Bantam player. He was first year Bantam. I remember yeah. that. Um, so, you know what else? Yeah. That, that for some reason, as far as hockey and PEI amateur hockey goes, I remember that. And I remember the team winning the junior A Summerside team, right? In, in the late 90s. The, the Summerside team in 1997 won the Royal Bank Cup. Yeah. 97. No, yeah, so there's on the Royal Bank no, Company. Was Gerard Gallant their coach then? Gerard Gallant was their coach, yeah. yeah. See, I unbelievable. I remember those those specific things because they're a big deal. And we hear about it in Newfoundland, right? Like you Huge go to the deal, rink, yeah. you hear about it, and we we always stick by PEI <laughs> for some yeah. reason, I guess we being in smaller provinces. But I remember hearing about that. Yeah. Is that not that this is Gerard Gallant's interview, but curious because people know who he is. Was that his first coaching experience? That was his first coaching experience. He played in the early 90s, so it must have he been. Played, yeah, he played and he came back. And 
the legend goes that, you know, that uh, they asked him to coach. I think it was Gerard Smith, maybe, who's a local legend around here, was a coach. Um, those guys kind of asked him to coach, and he was kind of didn't really want to. And and then, uh, you know, got into the coaching, and they won a national championship, and then he wanted to be a coach. So that's kind of how, how the rumor goes. Or, you know, I've talked to Turk times but never ever asked them about the story but i have heard that it was uh you know a story of him not really wanting to do it but you know took it on because he was back in summerside i've heard that too i'd like to get him on one day but i'd give him some space here now um regina what brought you to regina to just just a couple more questions and then we're gonna have yeah. a little speed round and then we're done 2014 awesome. there's 13 14 your regina pats what brought you out to the western league of all places yeah so it started with uh uh, I was coaching the Caps that year again, and we just won a championship and got a silver medal at the Nationals. And uh, we were going through an ownership change at the time. And I was a little nervous. I didn't want to leave. And, and, you know, wasn't something that I was looking forward to doing. I mean, I wanted to settle on PEI and I want to be home. I want to raise my family here. And, and uh, you know, I had a friend at the time who was coaching there, Malcolm Cameron, um, who had called me and asked me if would be interested in going out to the, uh, to the Regina Pats. And I was – actually talking to the Charlton Islanders a bit, they had off, not offered me, but they had sat down with me and asked me if I'd be interested in being an assistant coach there and had a few conversations with them. And what kind of happened was I was, I was put on got a little bit put under the gun by the Regina Pats. They said, you know, you got to this time on Friday and if you don't take it, then we have to move on. So 12 o'clock noon on Friday is our drop, drop, uh, drop deadline. This is, this is the latest we can go. So I kind of was like him and on because I, I really want to be in Charlottetown. Charlottetown, you know, for a Summerside, for a Charlottetown guy that's coached in Summerside, to have the opportunity to coach Major Junior in your own city, um, you know, would be a dream come true. So I really wanted to go to Charlottetown. But I was running at a time, and I wasn't sure if they were going to offer me the job. So at 12 noon my time, the Regina Pats general manager called me, Chad Lang. Um, we had a, you know, 25-minute conversation, and he said – if you don't take the job now, we're moving on to another guy. And I, my wife and I were sitting at a campground at Marco Polo and said, what do we do? And she said, we're, we might as well go. So we took the job in Regina. I had to call the Charlton Islanders back and they kind of were a little flabbergasted that, you know, that I said, I'm going to Regina and not, yeah. not, uh, not to Charlton, but they hadn't offered me the job either. So at that point, I didn't want to know if I was getting the job. Didn't want, didn't want to ask any questions. I just wanted to, uh, you know, I knew where I was going. I was going to Regina. We were starting to make plans to do that. And that happened at 12 noon. I talked to the Islanders or the rocket back then about three hours later. So, um, and that's how I became you know, a Regina path. I mean, that year was a great year, great learning experience for me. Um, you know, Malcolm Cameron was, uh, you know, a good coach and and learned lots from him. Josh Dixon was just one of the assistant coaches. I got to run the D and still have great relationships with guys like Chandler Stevenson, Kyle Burrows, um, Dryden Hunt, all playing the NHL and are doing really well. And, you know, it was a great organization. And um, we, uh, we were picked to finish last in the league and we won the East Division Championship. So in 2014, there's a banner raised at the Regina Regina rink and at the brand center that I was part of. So that, yeah, that's kind of cool. And we didn't win in the playoffs, but we won the regular season uh, East division title. And I mean, only one team wins in the playoffs. So it's real hard to win, but uh, you know, that's a, a pretty good feat in its own. Amazing. Uh, how is Malcolm doing? I haven't, he's coached. He, I briefly in Cincinnati, I had a career and ending injury, man, I was dealing with. So I, I didn't get to know him as much as I thought I would, but how, how is he doing? Is he out in Regina still? 
No, I, I think he's. Uh, I think he's overseas somewhere, maybe in Europe. Pass along a hello if you ever. I mean, it's been twenty years, but yeah, uh, I haven't talked to. I haven't talked to him since two thousand thirteen either. So might not get a chance to talk to him. But yeah, I, I just lost track. Some guys you just lose track with. Yeah, I, I knew he went to Acadia or whatever. He was a good Atlantic Canadian, but didn't really get to know him. Um, listen, when you're coaching, what's the balance? Honestly, well, of course, honestly, you're going to give me an honest answer. You're Billy Mad Dog McGuigan. So you some you you want to win the championship. But you also want to develop a kid. Sometimes you might look at a kid, he's 16, and you're like, you know what? He'll fit in over on this better other team better than here, and he's going for this scholarship. I think I can help him do it, and I can use the 19-year-old that they have. It might not be a selfish reason that you're always making a trade. So, you know, or not just when it comes to trades, when it comes to treating a player, however. So what is that fine balance? Because it's more you got to find it in junior more than anything. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, every discussion that, that happens like the, the good thing about coaching is when you have a general manager or if you, if you're not in both positions, like when I was in Miramichi, I was head coach and GM. So it kind of fell on your own shoulders all the time. But the fact that I have another guy to lean on here, Pat McKeever who's, you know, great hockey guy and, and smart and he, you know, he gets it. Um, you know, so it's a lot of conversations between him and I and dialogue. Like, you know, I said to a guy yesterday, I think I talked to Pat McKeever more than I talked to my wife. So, you know, you, you got to have that open dialogue, but I think, you know, sometimes you make a trade that's, you know, not, not the, the worst thing to happen for the kid, but you know, the kid thinks it's the worst thing, but maybe it's the best thing for the kid at that time. Yeah. And we get a player back. That's, that's a fit for us at that time. So it's not always about, it's not always about, you know, what you need right at that moment. Sometimes it's better off for a guy to move to an organization where he's going to get to play more. You know, sometimes Terry you know, with junior hockey, if you trade them at 17, you might get them back at 19. So you want you want them to develop. You want them to go. And especially if they're PEI kids, because like the Newfoundlanders, they like to be home. So they like to be, you know, they like to be on PEI. They like to go to UPEI. Um, so at 17, 18, 19, if they've been away for a couple of years, they want to be back home in 18, 19, 20. So, you know, we, we kind of run the gamut sometime where we'll trade a 17-year-old to another team in our league, and then he'll be back at 19 and a better player than he was when he left. So, you know, no, I agree. It's, it's one thing that I didn't see. I didn't see the forest through the trees when I was that age, even not with myself, with other people. Like I didn't see coaches thinking that way, but of course you get older and you're like, yeah, that's part of it. Right. Like, yeah. but I never really thought you're trying to develop this guy. <laughs> you want to win the championship, you know, um, which totally fine, different era, but uh, coaches, the job I just think is underrated. People don't realize everything that goes into it at that level, because yeah. at that level, any like the coach and the GM, everybody's working together. Every coach is a GM and is a billet and is a social worker at some point, right? You know, hundred percent. There's a level of social work to it. Okay, just a few more questions. Rapid fire randoms. I know we only got five minutes, so I'm going to cut it short. But are you ready for rapid fire randoms? Ready. Let's do a death row meal. Uh, Linger, you find out that Linger fucked over your hockey career in some way when you look back and you're like, you know what? Fuck him. And you take a knife and you chop his head off and throw it in the fucking harbor. Now, you're I going thought to be doing that before, Jim. Yeah, well, there you go. You're now, now you've done it and you, you are on death row. What is your last meal? This is the last night of your life. What are we getting you to eat? Well, we're getting steak, medium rare, and new potatoes. Uh, as good as, and PEI potatoes at that. PEI new potatoes. Uh, you got to go skydiving. Pick one song. You right before you go, you got to pump yourself up to jump out of the fucking party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. By Miley oh. Cyrus. 
Didn't think, but hey, to each their own. You have a penalty shot on any, any NHL goalie. Which one are you picking? Uh, my best penalty shot of my career was on Menorio, and I scored top shelf. So I'll hey, go. That counts. Uh, is, there a, is there a short goalie in the NHL that I could score on? I'm going to take that because she played a game with the Tampa Bay Lightning in exhibition. So that's an that NHL true. goalie. And, you know, why not give. I don't have too many female guests or shout-outs on here, and that's as good as any. Mano Rayom, the one who – the female goalie who really started it all for these goal, goal, yeah, 100%. Right? Um, okay, you got to pick an NHL player. He's at a free-throw line in basketball. He's got to score four baskets on eight shots. Who would you pick? Leon Dreisaitl. Because of his athleticism, I yep. assume. How many fish burgers have you ever eaten? Zero. Three books that you've read. Legacy, Mumba Metality, and Simply the Best. $27.1 million. Would you put, would you cut off your leg and put like an arm with a hand as a, as a leg and a foot and change your name to Bonk Fitztipoli? <laughs> so you're Bonk Fitztipoli and your, your right leg is an arm and a hand. I like it. $21.7 million, you're going to do it? I'm going to do it. Why not? How, have you ever done the Macarena? I have. What goes on a perfect pizza? Uh, meat. Um, what hockey player do you pick to get a hit versus Clayton Kershaw? Carmen David. And finally, all-time team. No Habs, no Gretzky, no Orr, no Lemieux. Give me three forwards, two defensemen, and a goalie. The quickest ones come into your mind. Uh, Carey Price, uh, Chris Pronger, uh, Nicholas Lindstrom. Great picks. Sidney Crosby, maybe Nathan McKinnon, and McDavid. You can't go that wrong there, Billy Mad Dog McGuigan. Thanks for joining us today. I know you're in a rush. I really appreciate the favor. I will get over to PEI. I'm usually there uh, th around this time uh, of the year, but I'm real busy this time. I appreciate you, though. Give me a call the other day and invite me, but I will see you there soon. Thanks again for doing this, and good luck with the Summerside Capitals this season. I'll be paying close attention. Pass on my love to the boys, to the whole organization, and uh, have a great summer for to you and your family. Thank you, Terry. Okay, brother. See you later. You're good. And there it is. Thank you to Billy Mad Dog McGuigan for coming on the show. Always love hearing from coaches, especially players that got into coaching. And players that really had to battle for where they are, you know? Like, like I've often said, I've said it on here, a lot of third liners, um, fighters, role players, they often turn into pretty good coaches. And, and I, I think part of it at least has to do with the perspective. I mean, I joke about not getting much ice time in Montreal. I joke about, uh, you know, being the grocery stick, right? Um, you don't get much ice time, right? Forwards on one side, D on the other. But you got an NHL coach in the background or a pro hockey coach, wherever you are. And, uh, you know, you're part of a team that's trying to win. So everybody around you is absorbing and... and exuding opinions on a common goal. So you're going to learn a little bit. Now, if you're, I don't know, Connor McDavid or you're, I don't know, Wayne Gretzky or Patrick Kane, you know, one of these pure offense kind of guys, 
you're probably going to worry about that and you'll probably be justified doing it. So you're probably concentrating on that, but you're getting all kinds of ice time. You come into the bench, you're probably getting your water, getting your Gatorade, getting your fluids, whatever it is, getting your breath, right? You're not coming on there and spending too much time thinking about, you know, what did I do? I mean, a little bit, but you're not dissecting your game too much because you don't have time. You got to get back out there. Your teams are lying on you. You got to put the puck in the net. Um, but when you're not in the lineup a lot and you're fighting to get in and you're trying to, you're, you're, so you're paying attention. You're, you're, you're not only worried about your game, you're trying to do whatever it takes for the team, right? What, what is that at this point? And now you're looking at this. You're, you might be upset you're not on the power play, but you're watching a professional power play right in front of your eyes. There's no better coaching than that or there's no better way to learn than that, in my opinion. Right? In my opinion. I, I don't know. I don't think I was on the Montreal Canadiens power play at any point, maybe an exhibition for... But I, I remember how it clicks. I remember watching it. We'd go to practice, and I would be there almost in awe at times. Right? You're looking at Mark Recchi or Pierre Turgeon, uh, God, Vladimir Malakoff, Patrice Bouichbois, uh, Vinny Damfou, Shane Corson, you know, these guys are legends. I just named six, seven people. There was Olympians there, Hall of Famers. You know, uh, you, just to see the systems that they use and what makes them tick, and then to try to get into that lineup with them. Uh, and it's all relative. You know, if it's not the NHL and that's the AHL or the East Coast League, it's the same. The vets are the vets, the scorers are the scorers, and you're trying to battle to get in there. You generally absorb some knowledge. And Billy never took no for an answer for a long time, man. He went and he went and he went hard, went up. A lot of people, if they don't make major junior by 18, they just, you know, by 17, say, fuck it. He was 19 and took a role. What kind of role? A fucking knuckle chucking role. And then went to pro to the colonial league. Didn't let it get him down. Kept going. Ended up getting a half dozen years pro in more or less. Uh, you know, I, I, I respect that, but you're, you're, you have to absorb knowledge in that time, right? You have to. So I always like to hear the perspective of the coaches that become or the players that become coaches, especially those like Billy that fell into it. And by extension, I'd love to get Jared Gallant on here sometime. And I know I'll have Dave Cameron. I don't do that enough. Uh, get the coaches on. But uh, some fascinating stories from coaches because it's another perspective. I'm sure Billy would tell you that it's a whole different animal when you're coaching than when you're a player. Same goal, same resources, same rink, same road trips, same meals, same goal, but completely different perspective. Anyway, I could go on all day because I love the game. I loved playing it. And uh, in a perfect world, you know, I'd get to coach, but I just can't. Uh, I don't have the time. I simply don't have the time. Okay, I promised a couple of questions here. So let me answer at least one. Okay. Terry, as this comes from Emmett in New York, big fan of New York here. I have a question. What were summers like for you during the WHL, WHL days? Now it's three months of dry land training and organic protein shakes. But what did you guys do? Stay out in Washington? Did you guys get jobs? Just curious. Thanks, Tierra. Uh, I don't think now it's three months of dryland training so much in protein shakes. That's part of it. I, I don't think people so much do the dry. I mean, I did dryland. That that was kind of what it is with, with with what it was with us. We we would take time off of skating. Though I don't see many people take much time at all off. Um, now nowadays, 
And maybe that's a new age thing. Maybe that works. Maybe it's, I, I, I know that a lot of the traditionalists, Wayne Gretzky included, would say, get involved in a lot of different sports. Take your mind off hockey in the summer. Man, where it's so year-round and there's so much on the line for you and your family now, I don't know that you can go to extremes like you used to. I mean, I often didn't put on my gear for three months, uh, but, I, but I, at no point did I not train. At no point did I not train. Uh, that was starting, right? Like you saw that, what's his name, Slavkovsky, and he, he nearly broke the bike, so to speak, right? The other day when they were doing their Wingate and their uh, VO2 max test. But we had to do all that. We had to do all of it. There was no draft combine, like one communal place, but we had to do all of it, that we just had to send in the results. I remember getting flown to Halifax to do my combine. It was just me and, and a couple of other Atlantic Canadians. I don't remember who they were. They were from the Atlantic provinces somewhere. And um, that was it. You were just, if you were a high prospect, they would, the central scouting would send you a list of things and you would go and I remember I, I went to Dalhousie and worked with their doctors and did my combine testing and we would, we would have to train. It wasn't quite as specific. So I remember like say having the same upper body program as Darcy Tucker. And I thought we're different body types were different people um, or the same lower body workout as Saku Koivu when he's clearly got a step on me. I needed to work on my foot speed. He maybe had to work on his leg strength but yet we were doing the same stuff. So, and not always, but a little bit. So it was just starting to turn the corner. But now to my era, wasn't as big of a jump as my era to my dad's. The same amount of time had passed. But my dad in the 70s, I mean, he wouldn't do anything. He'd play baseball all summer and then he'd go and use camp to get in shape. Um, I would come home. I wouldn't tell anybody, but I'd be playing soccer and I'd be playing ball hockey. And uh, just going out and working out. I, if anything, a few years I went in a little bit heavy. I, I guess I, I kind of confused, and so did they. You know, I, I think Montreal saw me as this player that when I filled out, I'd be two fifteen or two twenty, and I never saw that. I didn't like it either. I'd rather. I did. I'm not saying that. I knew why because they they figured I'd be dropping my mitts and, and hitting a little bit. You know that that would be part of my bread and butter, which it was, but I'd just rather do it in the 190s. I'd, I'd rather be fast or quicker when I'm fighting and, and be able to last a, a long time than have a harder punch and a harder hit. But maybe I, I find every five pounds I gain, I really find it on my lungs. I And my wheelhouse for ice hockey and ball hockey, rice hockey about 195, my hockey cards, that was exaggerated. Um, and probably in ball hockey, 190. And right now I'm down in the 180s and I literally can't keep the weight on if I tried. I'm so busy, but, uh, that, yeah, we, we would train very similarly, just not as specific. Uh, and did I stay in Washington? No. Emmett, I liked Washington state when I was 16. Like I said, I graduated a year early, right? So I did stay and graduate, but. Every other year, that was the one year in Tri-Cities, but every other year I would uh, come home, you know, within a few days of being knocked out. I really missed home. It, when you got to leave for the whole year and it's so far off the beaten path, I know, I know you might say, well, New York is east. And if I played in Columbus, say, that's a bit of a jaunt. I know, but it's still in Newfoundland, you know, same thing in, well, 
close in PEI, but I guess you got the bridge. Newfoundland, we leave on the plane, we leave. And it's traumatizing for a young kid. It really is. Uh, some take to it more than others. I was gone now for a month or two. Everybody knows that story now that follow that follow my book and, and my my podcast. Um, you know, after a couple of months, I didn't I was perfectly fine with living away and coming back for the summers, but it did weigh on you a little bit. You know, you want to see your buddies, you want to see your family, and it's, you know, there's no way around it. You're like, unless I fly home, which is impossible, and it'll be Christmas or the end of the year. And uh, one year, I remember Tri-City flew me home, and I went, I got home, I, I, I left on the 23rd, and I had to leave to come back on the 26th. So I had the 24th and 25th, two days, and I flew all the way across the country to do it because I missed home so much. Um, so there, I, I would never, I love the places I played and I, I've gone back to every single place I played, not, uh, it wasn't a conscious thing. Like I got to get back. It just, I, I love them so much. And when you get, I love the United States. Most places I played were down there. I feel fortunate. Um, say what you want. Uh, it's, they treated me real well. And uh, United States, and I know maybe things in the media get blown out of proportion and you see a lot of the negative lately, but there's a lot of good. And the places I went to pretty much embraced us as a team. I got great friends that will always be part of my life. And every I played one game in Long Beach. <laughs> I really do have friends there for life. I'm not kidding you. Um, so I loved being a hockey player and I loved belonging to these teams. And I took it seriously. And at least while I was on the NHL trajectory, I worked my ass off, except I would come home. I knew I only had two months here, three maximum. It was never three actually. And uh, yeah, as far as training, went hard, just not as specific. And I think the nutrition is big now. We weren't eating McDonald's and stuff now. I'm not saying that, but Definitely, you know, I just thought, oh, lose weight, chicken and rice, put on weight, steak and pasta, uh, which was so silly. Um, yeah, diet has changed more than the workouts, put it that way. I think uh, that was a bit choppy of an explanation, but it wasn't the Wild West. We had to work hard. Okay. Yeah, so I often recommend an album, and I haven't in a few episodes, and I've been reminded. So I'm going to make it simple. I love the Cars. I think they're one of the most underrated bands ever. And, I mean, the obvious would be to go with the Cars' greatest hits, whatever version of that is out there. There's lots. But the best of the Cars is fucking phenomenal. But as far as an album... I'm going with 1978's The Cars. The Cars by The Cars. It's fantastic. And the first three fucking songs hit you. My favorite is Just What I Needed. But the first three songs are Let the Good Times Roll, My Best Friend's Girl, another fucking banger, and Just What I Needed, which is my favorite Cars song and one of my favorite songs of the 80s. I love that they would, uh, their use of the keyboard and uh, they could really write a pop hit. Um, Rick Okasik, who died a few years ago. Long live Rick Okasik. Not the best looking cat, but he uh, 
he was successful in the women department, I think maybe because he was the lead singer of the Cars. Look into it. Rick Ocasek and the Cars from 1978. My favorite is just what I needed. Folks, folks, if you're in town being St. John's and you're looking for a good time and you're looking for a bite to eat, why not go to Blue on Water or Merchant Tavern? Merchant Tavern now is an extension of their patio called the Crab Shack, where Jeremy Charles will make you crab, lobster, smash burgers, tuna casseroles, and just about anything you'd like from the merchant menu. Check it out. Crab Shack, Merchant Tavern. Patios now open. In fact, check, support rather local everything. It's that time of year. The pandemic is over, as I often say. It's summertime, and a lot of these businesses need your help. So I know that downtown St. John's now is on wheels. As soon as I press stop, I'm going to go down and grab a bite on a patio. And tomorrow night, I'm going to head to my favorite bars for a drink, that being Greensleeves, TJ's Pub, the Bull and Barrel, Trinity Pub, and Rob Roy. Trinity Pub's also good on a, on a Monday night. Check that out for trivia. I told the boys I'd mention it because it's one of my favorite nights on, on George Street, trivia on Mondays. Not many nights I go to George Street without drinking and have a good time, but that's one of them. Penny Posh, Women's Wear Reimagined, Wedgwood Cafe. Why not stop in? Have, uh, have yourself a bite to eat from one of the best and most interesting chefs in town, Peter Wedgwood, also for all your catering needs. True Hockey Sticks, take what's yours. See you guys next week in Buffalo, New York. And uh, I'll have one more episode before I go. And maybe we'll do a live from Buffalo's type thing with uh, one of the Chicklets guys. I'm going to play by, by that by ear, but I'll try to get it done. Thanks for tuning in again. Thanks to Billy McGuigan. Thanks to my audience. Thanks to Mother Nature for giving us the best summer on record that I remember here in St. John's, Newfoundland. And... Thanks to you listeners for making me feel so good each week. I'll be back in three or four days with another episode, 112, Tales with Tier. Thank you for listening. Talk soon and have a fantastic week.